I got a chaplain's conference on Friday morning that I have to be back for. I think at uh, I think about 6:30, 7 o'clock, I have to be over there. So it'll be a late night on Thursday on, on Thursday night. But um, rather than start and then have a week off and then pick it back up, I figured I'll just wait till after we get back. I want to talk to you about something tonight. I think that's very important. You look around; we got a lot of kids in here, and uh, this is very much for the parents as much as it is for the kids. All right. Um, more for the parents than the kids, but uh, this is something that kids, I really want you to pay attention to. I had Brother Josh pass out some uh, uh, note, uh, sermon note, blank sermon note things, so you could take some notes on these, um, because this is so important. I'm going to do a series on the family uh, here before too, too long. I don't know if I'm going to do it on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or whatever, but um, we have a lot of young, young kids in here, a lot of young families in here, and that's a good thing. It's a really good thing, uh, but it's so important then that not just that we have a bunch of kids, but that we have parents who are raising their kids and training their kids up in the way that they should go, like the Bible says, so that they can grow up and serve God. Proverbs 22 and verse number 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Obviously, that means then that while they're kids, we have to teach them what they need to know doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at lots of different examples in the Bible of Samuel, who obviously by the time he was weaned, which most people think was probably four or five years old, went to the temple. And from what he had learned from his mother in that time, he was able to carry that on for the rest of his life. David, as a young man, obviously was trained. He had, he had opportunities to, to do things that he should not do. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all these young people that were put in situations that many adults do not stand the test in, and they passed. And that was not just because, well, they just drifted in the right direction, and I guess they made the right decisions. They were trained as young people in the way that they should go. And when they got older, they did not depart from that way. So uh, that's what I want to talk about tonight. But, but by way of introduction, uh, I hate going to the dentist, and I don't know about you, um, I, it's, it's not one of my favorite things to do. I know it's necessary, but I always put it off. It's, uh, you know, if you feel a little bit of a tingle in your tooth or something like that, and you think, oh man, I hope I'm not getting some kind of cavity that needs to be taken care of or something like that, and then it goes away, and you think, oh, I'm all good again, you know, and then a week later, it comes back, and you feel that same tingle in the same spot, or maybe you drink something hot or cold, and you feel it, and you're like, oh no, Something's coming, I need to get that taken care of, but you just, you just put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off, because nobody likes to go to the dentist, and, and nobody wants to spend their hard-earned money on that, right? Um, I, I never went as a kid, and um, uh, unless I had to go get a tooth pulled, which I had plenty of that, uh, I've got very soft teeth in the back, just like my dad's, and I think by the time I was probably 13, 14 years old, almost every one of my back teeth had gotten pulled out. I didn't lose teeth. My teeth got pulled because they were so bad. And uh, as, my, as my, you know, my adult teeth grew in and all that kind of stuff, it was still kind of the same, the same way. Um, and, you know, now everybody's looking at my teeth. But I, I never had braces or anything like that. The front teeth have always been fine. The back teeth have never been fine. And uh, always had to have plenty of work on them and things like that. But the result of not going to the dentist when you had small cavities is exactly what you would expect, right? Those cavities get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you either have to have a root canal or you have to have the tooth pulled out or something like that. So obviously the best case scenario and, and what you should do and what the cheaper fix would be is to get that taken care of when it's a small little cavity, right? 
get it taken care of before it's this massive, oh, I can't, I can't even sleep because I can't, you know. Uh, I remember one time, I think I was probably 12 years old, maybe 13 years old. I woke up one morning and it looked like I had a mouthful of acorns on one side of my face. I had an abscessed tooth that had swollen up and it was just, I mean, it was huge, you know. I had to go to the doctor, the dentist. I had to get that tooth pulled. And uh, like I say, it's, it's one of those things that if you go for regular checkups and if you get those small cavities taken care of, then you avoid a lot of big problems later on. And that's exactly what I'm talking about tonight when it comes to children. Uh, kids usually develop bad habits early. It doesn't mean that it can't be taken care of just because they are uh, older, all right? Just because you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old does not mean that nothing can be done about it. But the earlier you catch it, the better it's going to be, right? And the younger your kids are when you get the issues taken care of, the better it's going to be for you and for them. And so those habits that they form that are not great habits, the earlier you get on those things and the, you know, the more consistent the correction and the guidance uh, they need, and it can be tiring. It can be difficult. It can be something that wears you out. It, it can take uh, thought and energy that just wears parents out. But I tell you this, you're going to be so much more thankful that your kids are behaved as they get older, and you're going to spend a whole lot less energy as they get older if you take care of it when they're young. And uh, that's honestly one of the reasons a lot of parents are not consistent in discipline and why young people end up growing up with, with the issues that they have, because parents are just not willing to put the energy in. It's tiring. It wears me out. I don't have the energy to constantly be disciplining them and taking care of the, this issue or that issue. So you know what? It's just the way they're going to be doesn't have to be that way. When you leave it unchecked, they can grow into major problems down the line. It's very important to engage the problem now in order to save them and us from a lot of pain in the future. You know, if, if you could look into the future 15 years and see your kids living in the world, doing what they want, not in church, not following the things of God, not doing any of those kind of things, uh, or maybe they're in church, but they, they have a lot of bad habits, just things that, boy, I wish they didn't do those things. You'd, you would say, man, I, I don't want that heartache. I don't want that, that heartbreak, right? I'm telling you how to take care of that, and that is to take care of it now. It's going to help them, and it's going to help you. So what I want to talk about tonight, I want to look at bad kid behavioral issues that need to be broken early if we're going to raise them for, to be the most effective for God and the most effective in society. So I say that this is for parents because absolutely it's parents that have to be the ones that are paying attention to this and correcting these issues, but it's also for the kids. These are issues that you need to pay attention to in your life. These are issues that you need to look out for and things that you need to be working on yourself. And um, like I say, you know, some of the, you know, some of the kids are too young to even read this and, and pay attention to this, and that's where it's important for the parents. But as they get older, especially, it's important for the kids and the parents to work on this. So let me, um, let me point a few things out here. In fact, turn over to Proverbs chapter 12. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this in the way of bad kid, bad kids. I'm saying bad kid behavior issues, right? I'm not saying bad kid behavior issues. It's a way that you inflect your voice, right? But bad kid behavior issues. Those are the things that we need to pay attention to. And the first one is this, lying. Lying. Sometimes lying is, is something that we tolerate. Lying should never be tolerated 
because the Bible is adamantly against it. Uh, lots of verses here. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9. You can write these down and go back and look at them later. These might be even good verses for your kids to memorize. I know they're memorizing a lot of verses for, for school and for classes and everything else, but uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9 says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. I had you turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 19. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. You know, there's other things that we like to point out in the Bible that are an abomination to God that, that people gravitate to, right? What's the one that everybody says, oh, God calls that an abomination? What is it? Homosexuality, right? Oh, God calls homosexuality an abomination. How can you possibly be a homosexual? Well, guess what God calls also an abomination to him? Lying. How can you be a liar? Right? Why aren't we asking that question? Why aren't we kicking all the liars out of our church? Right? Proverbs chapter 13, the next chapter over in verse number 5. A righteous man hateth lying. But a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. You don't have to turn over there unless you want to, but Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I say that to say that God hates lying, and we should hate lying just as much as God does, right? Lying is very dangerous because it leads to a life of secrecy. There's um, almost no sin that goes on that does not involve, at least in some point, in some way, lying, right? Everything that you do in secret is a lie because you have to lie to cover up where you were. You have to lie to cover up what you're doing. You have to lie to do this. You have to lie to do that, right? That's, I mean, every, I, I can't say every sin, but most sins all come down to lying, and so when we allow lying to go unchecked, it's very dangerous because it leads to that life of secrecy. Now, with growth and with maturity, uh, they come when we deal honestly with our mistakes and our shortcomings. Is it easier to lie? Absolutely, it's easier to lie, right? Um, did you do that? No. Nope. Okay. Well, you got out of it, right? That's why it's so important that we have to teach honesty and not just teach, but demand honesty from our children. And by the way, how do you know if they're lying? Some kids are very good at it. You have to check up on them. You have to follow up with it. Did you do this? Yes, I did it. You can't just take their word for it. Kids are going to lie to you, right? And the more they get away with it, the better they're going to get at it, and the more they're going to do it, and the more they're going to try to do it. So don't just take their word for it. Go follow up. Go make sure that they did it. Were you out there doing that? No, I wasn't doing that. Okay, well, you better not be. Go find out if they were doing it. That's what you have to do if you're going to make sure that they're not a liar. The best liars are the ones that continue to be lying because they, they fool everybody, right? Same thing in a workplace. It's not just our kids. It's in a workplace too, right? The best liars get away with it because they're good at it. That's why they're good at it because they, you know, they know how to get away with it. Your job and your responsibility to make sure that you're following up with it and making sure that they're not telling the truth. Well, my kid wouldn't lie to me. I can tell when they're lying. Yes, they will. And no, you can't. Not always, right? Follow up with it. Make sure that they're telling you the truth. 
Others are going to see them as dependable. They'll see them as faithful. They'll see them as authentic if they learn to tell the truth. See, trust has to be built. Trust has to be built. And that leads to healthy relationships. You know, you've heard it said before that it takes years to build a relationship or to, to build a reputation and only seconds to lose one, right? It's the same thing with, with when it comes to trust, right? You got a five-year-old kid, a six-year-old kid, a seven-year-old kid, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, you better be following up and making sure that they're telling you the truth, okay? By the time they're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and they've told you the truth because you followed up and you found out that they were telling you the truth, then you can start to trust them. Well, he said it's this way, so I believe him. I trust him because he, he does not lie. Now, does that mean that he's never going to lie? Probably not. And sometimes when you start to trust them the most, that's when they take advantage of that trust. And it takes all those years to build that reputation and seconds to lose one, and then they're not going to be trusted after that. But you cannot, and I know it sounds bad to say you cannot trust your kids, but you can't trust your kids. They're going to try to get away with it. They're going to lie to you. Do you think they want to go get spanked? Yes, I did that. Please spank me. They're not going to say that, right? They're going to say, no, absolutely, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. Please don't spank me, right? But that's what you have to follow up on. And lying is one of the worst possible things you can allow your kids to get away with because they're never going to be trusted. They're never going to be trustworthy. They're never going to be faithful. They're never going to have that reputation that, that we need them to have if they're going to be not only successful in life, but successful in the things of God. Lying has the exact opposite effect of all the things that we're trying to teach our children. And what ends up happening is distrust and immaturity take root, and then it just goes downhill from there. They're not, there's not a lot of things, and probably Kevin can, can vouch for this. I know John can, too. We've talked about it. There's not a lot of things that can get you fired from the police department. Uh, you really have to mess up really bad in order to get fired. But one of the things that will get you fired faster than anything else is dishonesty. If they catch you in a lie, you're gone. And that's, that's probably that way in a lot of different professions. But I know it's that way in the police department. There's, there's a lot of things that you can do wrong, but you tell a lie and they catch you in a blatant lie, you're gone, and, and, and it's because, I mean, the, the importance of, of telling the truth. You can't deal with a liar because if they lie to you, then they're also going to cheat. They're going to steal. They're going to defraud customers. They're going to, you know, plant drugs. You, you, can't, you don't know what they're going to do. If they're willing to lie to you about something, then they can do anything else, and the same thing is true with our kids. When we allow them to lie, there's probably a whole lot of other things that they're doing that we are letting them get by with because we're trusting them way more than we should. I'm not, I know it sounds bad to say you can't trust your kids, but you have to follow up to make sure that you can trust your kids because they're going to lie to you. On a personal level, in our house, my kids know that, that, that we don't put up with lying, and that's, you, we meet lying with one of the steepest consequences that you can possibly have. Because more than anything, that, that causes separation in a family, but in every other relationship that they have as well. It causes separation. Because if I cannot say, did you do that? And they say no, and I can trust them or I can believe them, how do you believe anything that they're telling you? Well, I did this, and this happened. I, I don't know. How do, how do I know that, right? And so from, from day one, from the time that they were very, very young, we tried to teach them to hate lying themselves because the consequences, the consequences for lying have to be so uncomfortable. You can't just say, well, you, you lied to me. Go sit in the corner for five minutes. Okay, you know. Or go, you, you're not, not going to play a video game for ten minutes. 
You're not, you don't get to watch something for the next 30 minutes. That's not a consequence for lying. The consequences for lying need to be so severe and so harsh. And I'm not saying, you know, uh, beat them and then hang them up, up by their toes outside. But I'm saying the consequence for lying needs to be so severe that when they go to tell a lie, when, when you ask them a question, the first thing in their mind is not, I'm going to tell a lie and get out of this. The first thing is, let me think twice about this. And you know what happens? They hesitate, and then when they hesitate, you know they're about to tell you a lie, right? And I'm um, giving away trade secrets here, but um, that hesitation means that, they're no, that, that they know they're about to tell a lie, and they have learned, they have to learn that the consequences for lying are so severe and, so, and met with such, such harsh consequences that they hate it themselves. They're willing to tell the truth because they just don't want to face the consequences for telling a lie. And one of the best ways to teach them to hate lying is to praise honesty, right? They tell you the truth, and it means that they're going to get in trouble because they told you the truth. I know you wanted to, I know you wanted to lie and get out of it, but you told me the truth. And because you told me the truth, the consequences for what you did are not going to be as harsh and as severe as what they would have been because you told me the truth. That's how you teach telling the truth. You do not and you cannot reward lying. When you reward lying, and when I say reward lying is they get away with it. They tell you a lie, you believe it, they got away with it. That's how you raise a liar. So bad kid behavior issues that need to be broken early, I think one of the most important ones is lying. But the second one, uh, and turn over to Romans chapter 13. The second one is disrespect to authority. Boy, I'm telling you, more than anything, we see that in our society now because we are breeding that in society. We're teaching them to be disrespectful to authority because we're saying, well, you don't need to put up with what's going on. You stand up for what you believe in. And, and so then every kid stands up for anything that they believe in because it's a way to disrespect authority, right? We've seen that happen with the police. We've seen it happen. And that's why we're talking about these monuments. That's why they're tearing all the monuments down. And that's why they're you know, doing all these different things and, you know, political wokeness and all of that kind of stuff. That's why this is all, all happening. It's because of a lack of respect for authority. But we are all people under authority in some way or another because the Bible says this in Romans 13. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage, but in verse number one it says this, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Verse number five, wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. See, parents, teachers, government officials, pastors, bosses, police officers, there are some of the authorities in our lives, right? Every one of us is under authority in some way or another. And at the very least, maybe we're at the top of the food chain. We're all under the authority of God. We have to obey what the Bible tells us that we ought to do. So we're all under authority in some point. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you, okay? You have a pastor who is your authority, right? Wonderful me, I get to be the authority in this church. But you know what? I'm gonna answer to God for what happens in this church, right? Parents, kids say that all the time. Can't wait till I'm a dad so I can stay up as late as I want to and eat ice cream when I want to and do all that other kind of stuff, right? And yes, with, with authority comes, comes some privileges, but with that privilege also comes responsibility. Yeah, I can sit up and, and stay up as late as I want to and eat ice cream, but I have to, I have to take responsibility for those actions, right? And, it, and what happens in my home, I am ultimately responsible for and I'm going to answer to God for 
So I have to set rules. I have to set boundaries. Because if I don't, I'm going to answer to God for that. Right? He says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. I have to give an account for what happens with my children in my home. So I'm going to set rules and I'm going to set boundaries to make sure that they don't break those rules and those boundaries because I have to answer to God for what happens in my home. I have to answer to God for what happens in this church. Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse number 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. See, God took the disrespect of a child very seriously in the Old Testament. Do you remember what happened in the Old Testament? If a kid disrespected his parents, let me read to you in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out of the, unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put away evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. I think I'd be afraid enough to obey my parents if I saw that happen the first time, right? But God took disrespect and disobedience very seriously. I mean, to the point where, hey, our kid won't obey. He won't, he won't listen. He's, you know, he's doing this. He's doing this. He's being rebellious. Take him outside the city and stone him. It's a pretty harsh consequence, right? I haven't seen any kid get stoned recently for disobedience. But everyone answers to someone. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So an attitude of disrespecting authority creates a dangerous habit in children. It's going to lead to an attitude of entitlement. It's going to lead to an attitude of a lack of proper humility. You know, you're seeing it all over the place. These kids staging walkouts in the public school because they're protesting what, you know, what, their, what their teachers are telling them they have to do. And, you know, well, if the school's going to put a dress code on us, then we're going to stage a walkout. You know, that's how you end up with guys like David Hogg and these other guys who are getting up and, you know, trying to take the lead in, in all of these, you know. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other situation. You remember David Hogg, right, a couple of years ago? Um, what was he in? He was involved in uh, the, one of those school shootings. He, he wasn't the one that did the shooting, but he was there when it happened, Parkland or something like that, I think it was. And he's, I mean, just, just a spoiled little brat kid who, who disrespecting authority and, and everybody praised him for disrespecting authority because he was disrespecting the Republicans right, and the conservatives and everything else, and now here he's, you know, he, I mean, just it, on and on and on, but they're, they're going to end up suffering for it later on in life when the real world catches up with them, right? David Hogg's going to get a big slap in the face one of these days when reality sets in, and he's not this, you know, little mini celebrity that he thought he was, and he's not going to have any money, he's not going to have any respect, he's not going to have any fame, and all of that disrespect is going to catch up with him when the real world slaps him in the face and says, who are you again, Right? But that's what, that's what we're teaching our kids when we allow them to disrespect us or disrespect other authority. Children need to learn a respectful disposition to those in authority over them. And that doesn't mean they have to agree with the authority in every single situation, right? There are times when the authority is wrong, but it's not the position of a child to tell the authority that they are wrong. Um, children always ought to submit or challenge authority with grace and with um, respect. I, I believe that a child should never tell an adult 
they're wrong, right? An adult says something wrong, and, and listen to this, kids, okay? It's not your place to tell your parents that they're wrong about anything, right? And they may be wrong, but it's not your place to tell them that, okay? Uh, let me give you an example. Let's just say that uh, uh, father tells his son that he needs to put six quarts of oil in the car. They're changing the oil. All right, go put those six quarts of oil out there. Well, the kid's changed the oil before with his dad, or perhaps he went and looked it up on the, you know, in, the, in the car manual or something like that and sees that he actually shouldn't put six quarts, you should put five quarts, right? Because this car only requires five quarts of oil, not six. And the kid notices that, right? A disrespectful kid is going to say, Dad, you're wrong. Look, it, says, it doesn't say six quarts. It says five quarts. You're only supposed to put five quarts in here. Okay? That's disrespect. Right? How, how, how is a better way to say that? Dad, I know you said that we should put six quarts in the car, but I was looking this up, and I think, I think we only need to put five quarts in there. Is that right? Okay? Let the dad be the one to say, you know what? Yes, I was wrong. Actually, it should only be five quarts in there. Right? Let the authority catch their mistake and, and, and then correct that mistake. They don't need a child correcting their mistakes for them. Right? That's allowing them, and when you allow them to do that, you're allowing them to disrespect authority. And kids, that's something that you need to learn, right? It is not your place to tell your pastor, your parents, your teachers, or anybody else that they're wrong, okay? If they are wrong and you know it, and they're telling you to do something that you shouldn't do, and you think it's going to cause a problem if you go and do that, then ask respectfully. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong, but because you know what? 95% of the time or more... When a kid tries to tell an adult that they're wrong, the kid's the one that's wrong, not the adult, <laughs> right? Most of the time, it's that, it's, it's that way. So teaching our children respect for authority is vital to lasting relationships and earning respect to themselves. By the way, you, as an adult, ought to treat your bosses the same way, right? It's not your place to go run up and tell your boss he's wrong. Ask him a question. Hey, I know you said this, but I was looking at this, and... Do you think possibly we should do it this way instead? Let him say, you know what? I think that's definitely a better way. Let's do that, right? Your kids notice that too, by the way. You don't treat other people with respect. Why do you expect them to treat you with respect, right? You don't, you don't treat other people the way that they should be treated when you're, you know, they, they get your order wrong somewhere, right? Why do you think they're going to treat you with respect? They see how you treat everybody else. Right? And then how do you demand respect from them if you're not giving it to anybody else? So, important. But the, the, you know, the way that TV programming is and everything else today, commercials and all this, they always, they always paint the father figure to be this bumbling idiot, and the kid has to tell the dad that he did it the wrong way, and you know, this is the way that it should be done, and go buy this product because my dad's too dumb to know, you know, whatever. Right? And they're, they're fostering that. We have to be the ones. Parents have to demand respect from their children Fathers have to demand respect for the mothers, right? You hear your kid disrespecting your mother, it ought to be met with swift consequences. They ought never disrespect their mother. And you, as the father, are responsible to make sure that that doesn't happen. You're responsible for what happens in your home. Lack of respect should be met with heavy consequences. We'll move quicker. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. A third thing that, that we ought to make sure uh, that is a kid behavior issue that needs to be broken as early as possible, and that is unkind words. Words are very important. In fact, look how important the Bible says they are in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 34. 
O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, get this, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. God places a high value on words, right? If every idle word that we speak, we're going to give account for when we stand before God, then he places a high value on words. Clearly, the words that we choose affect those that they are directed towards. Because unkind words can, can cause deep wounds. And I know people are so sensitive today. We have so many, for lack of a better term, snowflakes out in our society that you can't say anything that's, that you know, is not going to hurt somebody's feelings. And I'm not saying that, but there are a lot of things that we can say that are unkind that do hurt even a normal person's feelings, right? And you ought to be concerned about that. And you ought to make sure that your kids are concerned about that as well. Um, when it comes to, you know, th there, there may be a time when we disagree. There may be a time when we argue or even fight, but there's never a reason to be unkind. I don't want to take the time to read this whole passage, but the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's the way that our speech ought to be. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Saying things that are unkind to somebody are certainly not edifying them in any way. And, and like I said, I, I get it that, that people are so... I, I heard, uh, where was this at? Oberlin College. Very well known for being very liberal. And uh, Oberlin College was actually... Um, anyway, long story, but... Um, I, I, I read yesterday, the day before, it, and this is a college where I think it's like eighty to ninety to hundred thousand dollars a year for this college, and this one particular dormitory is made uh, specifically for women and transgender women, whatever you call it, guys who think they're girls, right? And so these, this guy found out in an email. 24 hours before it was actually going to happen, that there was going to be some men coming into their dorm room to put in heating elements so that they can have heat for the winter. And this guy wrote a big op-ed article in the paper about how they, they only gave us 24 hours and, and they didn't even give us a time frame of when these guys were actually going to be coming into our room. And so I didn't know if I was going to be in my room when they came in or if I was actually going to be in class when they came in. And they should have, I'm not complaining because we're thankful that we actually are going to get heat for the winter. But I mean, they could have given us more than 24 hours and they could have been more specific about what time they were coming in. And the guys that were probably going to be coming into my room are probably cisgender men. That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with today, right? So you, anything you say to that guy is going to be offensive to him, right? Anything you say, he's going to take as unkind because he's transgender and you're not. That's, that's just what it comes down to, you know? And then, wouldn't you believe it, when they actually knocked on his door, he was getting ready to go to class, and there were three men standing there. And one of them was in a shirt and tie who looked like he was probably the boss, and they just walked in, and they started doing the work on this thing. Well, I had to go to class, and by the time I came back, they were gone. But I can't believe that they just came into my room. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with today. So I get it that you can say the slightest thing, and some people are going to think that it's unkind. 
But if we're focused on and making sure that our kids are focused on, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here's number four, aggressive behavior. And again, um, that's something that we need to get on early. And I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not talking about kids being kids, boys being boys, you know, roughhousing, being tough. I'm talking about the same things as unkind words that translate into unkind actions, right? Doing things just to be mean. Doing things because, you know, of being a bully. That's how, that's how bullies are born. And that can be taken a step further, too. I, um, you know, I, I ride with the police a lot, and, and I don't know if it's... I, I have an interest in finding out what makes people tick, right? Why do people do the things that they do, especially when it comes to crime and murder and that kind of stuff in particular. But um, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of different material about a lot of these different types of crimes and, and you know, the psychology behind you know, what's making these people do the things that they do. And I, and I know that what it ultimately boils down to is a sin problem, and they wouldn't do that if they, you know, if they were saved and, and didn't have these sin issues. But um, a lot of the studies that they have found out, one of the biggest things that a lot of serial killers start off doing is being cruel to animals, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the main hallmarks of, of serial killers later on in life is that they tortured animals growing up. Dogs, birds, cats, whatever, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you know, obviously you can take that to the extreme too. But, you, you, you know, just because somebody, you know, throws a cat or, you know, hits a dog or something like that doesn't mean they're going to grow up and be a serial killer. But those are things that you need to pay attention to, right? The way that the Bible talks about a, a man that does not regard the life of his beast, right? So obviously God, God is serious about those issues too, but... Um, you know, what, what ends up, what, what usually happens with somebody who is cruel with animals is it turns into being cruel with other kids, and then eventually, you know, they start killing and everything else. But there are a lot of signs that are exhibited by children that go on to become criminals. But that's one of the biggest signs, aggressive behavior. And I'm not saying that if you don't get on it now, your kids are going to grow up and be a serial killer, but it, it, it's, it's certainly something that's going to hamper them for the rest of their life. You allow that aggressive behavior, you allow them to be mean just for the sake of being, well, the boys are just going to be boys, you know, that's just the way, you know, cat fights are going to happen between girls, and that's what happens. No, teach them not to. Teach them not to. That aggressive behavior is something that, that, that they should not do. The Bible has a lot to say about that, but when you notice behavior like that, you have to intervene as soon as possible to prevent other kids, prevent animals, prevent, prevent whoever from getting hurt. And, and honestly, you know, it, it always goes deeper than that, too. There's a lot of reasons that kids display aggressive behavior. Um, one of them, you know, um, it's a coping mechanism because they're dealing with stress or insecurity at home, right? A lot of these kids that grow up to be serial killers didn't have parents that loved them, had parents who were separated, had parents who were always gone, had parents who were drunkards, who, who had parents who just didn't give them that nurture that they need. And that's why the Bible says, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? That's our responsibility as parents. So one of the best deterrents to that type of behavior is, is allowing them to grow up in a stable home environment, you know, uh, where the parents love each other, where the parents make the kids get along with each other, right? I mean, we had some friends of ours growing up, and thankfully they all, they're all serving God today, but I'm telling you what, man, those kids, three boys, and they were just, they would beat each other up. I mean, bloody heads and everything. I mean, these guys had no shame, and in fact, Brian was just telling me the other day, we were just talking about it. The dad took all the guns out of the house because he was afraid that one of them was going to get so mad that he was going to shoot one of his brothers. I mean, that's how bad this was growing up. 
That's what I'm saying. Thankfully, thankfully, they all they all grew up. They all got married. They're all serving God. You know, two of them are pastors. One of them's an assistant pastor. I mean, they obviously made it made it past that. But uh, those are things that very. I mean, they. I wouldn't say lucky, but they're lucky that things turned out that way because normally it doesn't when you allow that kind of behavior. So, the best is stop it immediately when it happens, and then enforce consistent consequences for that. Last thing is this, and, and one of the things that we need to get on early, and, and the, one of the reasons why I'm putting this last is because I think, so, I think a lot of these other things are more important, but laziness. Children need to be taught to take responsibility for themselves early in life, right? Turn over to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. While you're turning over there, I want to read you Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Proverbs 26, verse 14. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. Right? Just roll over and go back to sleep. I, I understand this too. Kids need sleep. And, um, you know, that does not mean... They get to sleep in till noon because they stayed awake all night playing video games and didn't go to bed till 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Your, your time to go to bed is this time, and your time to get up is this time. And it's maybe a little bit later on a weekend or something like that when you don't have to get up for something early the next morning, right? Um, kids, kids need to get their sleep, but that means they need to go to bed, and that means they need, you know, they ought to have an alarm clock that they set and get up to, right? It's none of this, uh, honey... It's time to wake up now. I don't mean to bother you, but it's time to wake up now, right? Set an alarm, get up to your alarm. I won't tell you some of the stuff my dad did to us when we didn't wake up to our alarm, man. I'm telling you what. I don't know how many times I woke up with a bucket of water in my bed uh, laying right next to my pillow upside down to make sure we got up and got out of bed. But I tell you what, it taught us not to be lazy, taught us to get up, taught us to do what we needed to do, right? And um, otherwise, they, they can come to expect that their parents are going to do everything for them. And I'm not saying they sleep in, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be worthless for the rest of their lives. But what I'm saying is you need to get on it early. Make them wake up on time. Make them go to bed in time. Make them do chores around the house. You know, look, my house would not be a mess if it wasn't for my kids, right? I'm not the one walking around making a mess in the house. The kids are. You know, and I get it. It's the, it's the mother's responsibility to clean the home and do the dishes and all of that kind of stuff. But they're the ones making the mess. They ought to be, at least be partially responsible for helping to clean it up, right? Because you know what it does? They're going to only partially make a mess if they know they're going to have to partially help clean it, right? And if they know they're going to have to clean it all up, you'd be surprised at how neat they can be. And uh, so it teaches them that responsibility, but, but also, you know, instilling a good work ethic starts by giving them chores to do around the house at a young age. We have a chore chart, and they have to do those chores. And they're rewarded for it, too. I don't pay them. But they can earn points, and then they can use their points to buy different things. And when I say buy, I mean they, they buy, they're buying privileges, right? It's not a privilege to be able to play a video game. I mean, I mean it's, not, it's not a right to be able to play a video game. It's not a right to be able to sit down and watch, you know, Wild Kratts or a baseball game or whatever else, right? It's a privilege to be able to do those things. So earn it, right? You don't get to automatically do those things because you're alive. You've got to earn it. You, you, and that's, that's, we're teaching them early on. That there are good consequences for working hard, and there are not so good consequences for not working hard, because you don't get to do what you want to do, right? And that's, and that's a principle in the Bible. 
If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. All right? And I'm not saying, well, you didn't work today, so you don't get supper tonight. Right? But you want, you want the benefits of the privileges of, of doing all these things, and you're going to work for it, and you're going to earn it. Right? Um, start by teaching them simply, when they're little kids, to make their bed. Right? Their bed's not going to be made the same way that you would make their bed. But they need to learn how to start making it. Right? Clean up the toys. When they clean up, it's probably not going to look the exact same as it does when you clean up. But at least their version and, the, and to their ability to clean up and then follow up and make sure they did it. You tell them to go clean their room, go make sure they clean their room. Right? Tell them to do the dishes, make sure they did them right. My dad, I learned early on not to, not to leave stuff on the dishes. You know what happened one time? I did the dishes, did them fast, and my mom started putting the dishes away, and she found stuff all over the dishes that I hadn't cleaned off. My dad made me lick the plate off. He said, you're not going to clean the dishes right? Then you're going to lick it off. I had no idea what was on that plate, right? I mean, it was obviously it was food. It was not going to be poison or something like that. But you know what I said? Those dishes are going to be clean from now on because I'm not licking anything else off of somebody's plate who I have no idea whose it is. Right? And maybe that's a little bit unconventional, but it got the point across to me. Right? Do it right. And do it right the first time. Or the consequences are not going to be great. Right? So, um, when they develop a habit of taking care of their things, then you can start to add chores to those, those common areas where everybody, you know, make your bed, clean your room. That's your stuff. That's your responsibility. Put your clothes away. Right? Then you get into more common areas. Hey, sweep the living room, sweep the kitchen, do that, you know, this and that, and especially as they get older. But you, you, you encourage and reward their work only when they deserve it, right? They don't get rewarded just because they took 30 minutes to go clean their room. Most of the time when they take 30 minutes to go clean their room, they're sitting there playing for most of the time, and then they take two minutes to try to shove everything into a corner. They get rewarded when they do the work right. They get rewarded when they do the work well. Starting as early as possible, it's going to make all the difference. Well, they're just little kids. I know. And one, one day they're going to be big kids that have no idea how to work. And that's what we're producing in society right now. That's why nobody wants to work. And when they do, they want to get paid $2,500 an hour. And they don't want to do anything to earn it, right? That's why you've got these little spoiled kids that are saying, I deserve $15 an hour for flipping a hamburger at McDonald's, right? Most people would be happy, seriously, when we were younger, $3 an hour was great money, you know? I'll do, tell me what you want me to do. Just give me $3 an hour, right? And now we, we, we've just, we've coddled our kids so much to the point that they're so lazy and so entitled that now they're not willing to go to work unless I get paid $15 an hour minimum, right? Because I've got to be able to buy my $500 video games and my $300 basketball shoes and this and that and all these other things, right? So that work ethic is ultimately going to transfer into their spiritual lives. And it's going to determine to what extent they, they are useful in God's service, right? Somebody who's lazy and everything else is not just going to all of a sudden one day grow up and, and be very useful in God's service. They're going to be lazy in God's service too, right? The Bible says that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. They go hand in hand. We teach our kids to work. So that they can not only work and be productive in society, but that they can work and be productive in God's service as well. So important to jump on these things early. If you wait until you think they're old enough to thoroughly understand a lot of these things, it's too late. And I'm not saying that, you know, oh man, my kid's already, you know, eight years old. I can't do it anymore. No, get on it now. Start now. But the earlier you start on it, the better it's going to be for you and for them. And look, this is a, this is a philosophy, a theory, I guess, more than anything that I had when I was 
when, when my kids were really little, and I believe it just as much now as I did when I was saying it, when I didn't know if I believed it or not. But you get on it when they're two, three, four years old. How many of you remember, what's the, what's the oldest memory you have, or, or I, say, I should say the earliest memory? For me, I think I was about five years old when I remember the earliest thing. I don't, I don't remember anything from when I was four, at least that I know of, right? Especially not three, two, or one, right? And here's, here's my theory. You get on them hard when they're one, two, three, four years old. You do not let them get away with talking back, because they will at that age. You do not let them get away with lying. You do not let them get away with whatever it is that you're focusing on. And you spank them, and you teach them, and you train them. And you know what? By the time they get to be six, seven, eight years old, they're obedient, and they don't even remember why. Well, I'd, I want my two-year-old to, to like me. I want my four-year-old to think I'm a cool parent. You know what? They're not going to remember five years from now that you were a cool parent, just like they're not going to remember five years from now that you spanked them for doing the stuff that they shouldn't do, Right? But now they're seven, eight, nine years old, and they still don't think you're a cool parent, but they're obeying you, right? <laughs> and it works. It works. The earlier you get on these things, the better it's going to be. Our, our ultimate goal is to raise children that are going to go on to serve God to the best of their ability. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We're trying to teach them to be honest because we want them to be as useful in God's service as we can. We're trying to teach them to be dependable because we want them to be as useful in God's service as we can possibly help them to be, trying to make them respectful toward authority so that they can be as useful in God's service as they possibly can be. And so a big part of our responsibility as a parent is to help them reach that full potential. The way that we do that, when we fail to teach them those things, honesty, respect, kindness in, in, in the way that they speak and in the things that they do, the value of hard work, when we fail to teach them those things, then we have failed in our job of making them as useful as they can possibly be for God. Get on it early and get on it now because as long as they're still in your home and every one of the kids in this room is, as long as they're still at home, they're still your responsibility. And as long as they're still your responsibility, we still can do something to help mold them into exactly what God wants them to be and help them to be as useful as they possibly can be in God's service. That's our ultimate goal. So let's get on these things. Let's make sure that we're following up with these things and let's make sure that we're doing to the best of our ability what God has called us to do as parents. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the responsibility that you've given each one of us. What a tremendous privilege it is to be able to have young people in our homes and in our church that we can help raised for you, that we can help to be the next generation that hopefully will go on and, and take the name of Jesus Christ to the far corners of this earth and carry on Christianity, even though it's not a popular thing, even though it's not something that's widespread. But God, I pray that you'd help us to be everything that we can be as parents so we can raise kids that can be everything that they can be for you. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.